0: Shame on you. Mr. Chairman, chairman this no, you, know, is an intolerable harassment what of the, the witness. What is wrong with that? You need your medication.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That was the U.S. House. I got the feeling of something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left me, joke us to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you god save us yes, all I'm stuck in from pacifica you. radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la up in oregon on the central coast on kyaq and in cottage grove on queso in lancaster pennsylvania on wlri maui hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, And Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another fact-filled hour of entertainment, joy, and laughter.
0: Here <laughs> see, there the, you go. <laughs> yeah, see? Uh,
1: yeah, here we go again. Uh, this is one of those days. Uh, one of those days when we're sort of forced to cover um, and fact checked complete idiocy. And I hate doing it, uh, you know, versus covering more substantive stuff, frankly. But if we don't at least wave at the idiocy, Desi Doyen, as you describe it, um, then I fear it continues to get worse yeah. and worse yeah. and build upon itself. And it can't be ignored I don't know. So, uh, a mix of, uh, I guess, fact-checking idiocy and coverage of stuff that is being wildly underreported, in my opinion, in the wake of all of that idiocy, and in advance of the crucial November midterm elections when the nation has its first real opportunity to collectively put at least um, a few breaks on all of this madness. Uh, Also, We will have a fresh green news report today. Yay! (laughs) If time allows, we will see. (laughs) Though I think it's fair to say that your uh, report today is um, full of crap. Is that a (laughs) nice way to put it?
2: That would be a one way to put it. Is that one way to put it? it All right,
1: well, stay tuned for that. But otherwise, buckle up, let's uh, start here. You know how uh, Donald Trump loves to create chaos and disaster and then declared that he's fixed the chaos and the disaster, even though in almost every case he has not actually fixed anything at all. He he did that on North Korea, for example, when he drove us to the brink of nuclear war last year by promising fire and fury like the world has uh, never seen and to completely destroy North Korea. He did that from the podium of the U.N. General Assembly, but then he agreed to meet with North Korea's uh, Kim Jong-un a few weeks ago and declared on Twitter that, quote, there is no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. He also tweeted falsely, uh, quote, before taking office, people were assuming that we were going to war with North Korea. President Obama said that North Korea was our biggest and most dangerous problem. No longer. Sleep well tonight, he said after returning home from his summit with uh, Kim in Singapore. Well, as reality has it, it turns out the North is actually reportedly increasing both their uh, ballistic missiles and their nuclear weapon production since Trump's meeting with Kim. But let's just keep that between ourselves. We'll just let uh, Donald Trump uh, pretend that it was a great victory. It was, it was his victory It was, thank you, Mr. President.
2: All his own doing. He's the only one who can solve it, and it wouldn't matter even if you did tell him, because he wouldn't believe you. And even if he did, five minutes later, he'd forget.
1: But we don't have to, Desi, because he solved the problem. (laughs) Everything is fine. Thank you, Mr. President. He also did the same thing, of course, when it came to his new zero-tolerance border policy that separated thousands of children from their parents. Uh, after the public outcry over his policy became too great, he then signed an executive order supposedly ex- ending his own program and uh, declaring that many people will be very happy uh, now that he has solved the problem. Of course, he didn't solve that problem either, and there are still thousands of children separated from their parents thanks to this policy. And now we know that the administration actually has no actual plan to reunite them as required by a federal judge. Tuesday of uh, of this week was the deadline for reuniting more than a hundred children who are under five years old with their parents, but only about half of those toddlers and infants have actually now been reunited. and nearly three thousand others who are older than five,, uh, they are also still separated from their parents. They must somehow be reunited by a july twenty six deadline, according to that same federal court. Nonetheless, Uh, Today, the Trump administration put out a press release with all caps uh, in the headline saying Trump administration completes reunification for eligible children under five. In fact, the administration is apparently making this stuff up as they go. That's a flat
2: out lie. Well,
1: not if you include what might be their definition of eligible eligible children under five. They're making that up as they go along, too, who who is eligible and who is not. And I suspect the federal judge who ordered uh, the reunification will have something to say about all of that soon. But uh, again, uh, great job, Mr. President. You've solved the problem. And then we get to the past day or so of absolute chaos caused by Donald Trump at the NATO summit in Brussels. According to AP tonight, in a chaotic 28 hours at NATO, President Donald Trump disparaged longtime allies, cast doubt on his commitment to the mutual defense organization, and sent the 29-member pact into frenzied emergency session. Then, in a head-snapping pivot at the end, says AP, on Thursday, he declared the alliance a, quote, fine-tuned machine that had caved to his demands to speed up increases in military spending. Fine-tuned machine, he said. Now, where have I heard that before? I turn on the TV, open the newspapers, and I see stories of chaos. Chaos.
0: Yet, it is the exact opposite. This
1: administration is running like a fine-tuned machine. So... That was uh, back in February of 2017, just days. You, may, I'm sure you remember it, just days after all hell had broken loose when Trump took office, started unleashing a, you know, a, a Muslim travel ban and all other sorts of uh, nightmares, and that was, of course, that fine-tuned machine of his administration. That was before dozens and dozens of his own appointments had to be fired due to chaos and corruption and indictments and everything else. But I digress. He once again returned to the fine-tuned machine metaphor today after uh, a, a, a full day of absolute chaos at the NATO summit. Completely
2: generated by him.
1: Yep. AP reports Trump claimed NATO member nations had agreed to significantly boost their defense budgets and reaffirmed after days of griping that the U.S. was being taken advantage of by its allies that the U.S. remains faithful to the accord to the NATO agreement. The United States commitment to NATO remains very strong, Trump told reporters at a surprise news conference following an emergency session of NATO members held to address Donald Trump's threats. There was no immediate specifics on what Trump said he had achieved, and in fact, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron quickly disputed trump's claim that nato allies had agreed to boost defense spending beyond their existing goal of two percent of each country's gross domestic product by 2024 oh president macron don't just 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 keep it to yourself (laughs) that you've disagreed with him tell him he's done a fantastic job great it's a victory mr trump uh you've kept things from blowing up great job mr president In fact, uh, as uh, Macron pointed out, an agreement to uh, boost uh, spending uh, to the uh, 2% of GDP in each country, uh, that was an agreement that had been uh, worked out and struck under President Obama's urging back in 2014 and 2015. But I guess I'm safe in saying that because I suspect Donald Trump doesn't listen to this program. Trump had spent his time in Brussels, says AP, berating members of the military alliance for failing to spend enough of their money on defense, accusing Europe of freeloading off the U.S. and raising doubts about whether he would come to members defense if they were attacked. That, of course, is the actual purpose of NATO formed in the wake of World War II. That's the key element of this uh of this pact uh, to collectively come to the defense of member nations if they are an attack. An attack on one is an attack on all. And uh, that premise uh, in the more than 50 years now of NATO, that has only been invoked one time. And it was invoked for the United States after 9-11. This is the organization that Trump is pretending is somehow freeloading off of the U.S. Those nations who came to our defense after we were attacked in uh, September of uh, 2001. Trump, had, uh, Trump said he made his anger clear to allies on Wednesday about God knows what. He says, uh, quote, yesterday, I let them know I was extremely unhappy with what was happening. He added uh, in response to to the fact that the European countries agreed to boost their spending even further. He said they have substantially upped their commitment and now we're very happy and have a very, very powerful, very, very strong NATO. He said magic. It's done. He fixed it. He fixed Donald Trump fixed NATO. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, AP goes on to say that painting a rosy portrait before he left Brussels, Trump added, quote, I can tell you that NATO now is really a fine tuned machine. (laughs) People are paying money that they have never paid before. They're happy to do it. And the U.S. is being treated much more fairly. Okay, I hate to spend any time, frankly, on any of this nonsense because it is nonsense. But since this nation frankly, needs a team of fact checkers now to counter so much of the nonsense being repeated by so many news outlets and so many, yes, fake news sharers on the Internet. I guess we need to just make this clear. Trump originally said that NATO is ripping the U.S. off. He was saying that throughout the campaign, that they owe the U.S. billions of dollars, none of which is true. Which he almost certainly knows by now, now that he's become president. But during the campaign, you know, he said, oh, they're ripping us off. They're, they're taking our money. They owe us all this money. Now, that's just not true. It, it, now, something similar could sort of maybe be said uh, regarding the U.N., although it's been the U.S. that has often been delinquent in what we spend, uh, what we're supposed to spend on, on our dues to the U.N., uh, but none of this is true of NATO, where all the member organizations are fully paid up on the very small amount of money that they collectively spend for things like the headquarters building in Brussels, uh, for the administration of NATO itself, some uh, collective defense initiatives. So none of this is where it could be said about the U.N. You can't say it about NATO, where the only numbers that we're talking about here, whether Trump's teeny tiny ego is Large enough to admit it or not. We're talking about the defense spending that NATO members spend on their own armed forces. This is not money that's paid to NATO. This is not money that is paid to the U.S. or owed to the U.S. in any way, shape or form. They've all all the countries. What is it? Uh, twenty five or twenty seven or I'm I don't sorry, know what yeah, it is now around that. Uh, all the countries in NATO. Now they've generally committed to pay this two percent of their own, whatever two uh, percent of their own GDP is
2: again, established back in 2014 with the deadline of 2024. Right. A phase in a gradual phase in because national budgets aren't things you can just, you know, bandy about and just say, oh, we're going to spend another two billion.
1: So they already committed to that and they still commit to that today. So that's the great victory that Trump declared uh, today. Before moving on, he actually at one point uh, said they need to uh, change that to four percent. We don't even pay four percent of our GDP on uh, on that, but um, on 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 defense military, yeah. But he—he uh, he, that's uh, whatever, whatever it takes. That's the great victory that he declared today. Before moving on from NATO to uh, go ahead, and I'm sure wreak havoc in the hours ahead, in the UK, uh, and uh, and in his meeting next week in uh, Helsinki with Vladimir Putin. But yes, Mr. President, tremendous victory. We all owe you great thanks and uh, our eternal fealty. <laughs> Meanwhile, back here at home, the Republican Party has uh, picked up on Trump's madness or vice versa. I don't know. Uh, They are now pretending in the uh, U.S. House in particular that the Robert Mueller special counsel investigation is little more than uh, the poisonous fruit born of a poisonous tree planted by some guy named Peter Strzok at the FBI, who for decades, in reality, has been a top FBI counterintelligence official and uh, who worked uh, over the past year both on the Hillary Clinton email investigation with the FBI and the Trump-Russia investigation, only to have been later discovered uh, to have been having an affair with another FBI agent. Uh, after Mueller discovered uh, text messages between the two, which the GOP has used to suggest that the FBI had some great conspiracy to prevent Trump from becoming president. A conspiracy so great, by the way, that apparently they never invoked it because Trump became president and, in no small part, due to the FBI undermining the Hillary Clinton campaign not the Donald Trump campaign in advance of the election.
2: And also not telling anybody they were also simultaneously investigating the Donald Trump campaign. Right.
1: All they had to do was uh, talk about the fact that he was being investigated, uh, you know, due to Russian interference of some sort in the election. And that would have, you know, potentially destroyed Donald Trump's candidacy. They never mentioned it. They talked over and over again about Hillary Clinton's, uh, the investigation into her email, in which there was no criminal wrongdoing, but when it came to Trump, they didn't mention a word. So that is the great conspiracy that Republicans uh, now pretend they actually believe in, uh, and that uh, belief is uh, furthered by the discovery of these text messages between Strock and his girlfriend Lisa Page, in which Strock disparaged all kinds of uh, politicians and officials, including. Uh, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and yes, Donald Trump. They have been putting on this uh, pageant in right-wing media, pretending the entire Mueller probe is fake and it's a deep-state conspiracy to undermine Donald Trump. I try to, uh, frankly, avoid coverage of what the, the the nonsense coming from the right on this. And by the way, the nonsense. Well, it's not nonsense, but the unverifiable stuff coming from the media, uh, you know, about what Mueller is finding and what he is not. We report stuff when there's notable findings, notable indictments, but otherwise I try to avoid the day-to-day speculation. In any, in any event, uh, today, after Strock, uh, Strock had recently been called to testify for some 11 hours uh, to the U.S. House uh, Committee, uh, House Republicans, who had uh, demanded that Strock explain himself, Republicans refused to release the transcript of those 11 hours of closed-door hearings. Instead, Democrats want them, for some reason, to release that testimony, but they won't do it. Instead, Strock was invited to testify publicly before uh, a joint committee of the uh, U.S. House Oversight Committee and the U.S. House Intelligence Committee. And Strzok volunteered to do so in what became that chaotic mess of a hearing uh, that we played at the opening. Don't bother. You want to play it? and no, Don't bother. No. Don't bother play it. Again. It, it just—it was—it was madness. What you know? And that was just one little out. eruption. That was one that moment. Was
2: repetitively throughout the entire day. I want
1: to try to play you some of the more substantive portions, if I can, here uh, in what had become this chaotic mess of a hearing. Uh, in which uh, the uh, chair, I believe, of the House. Ju- yeah, the House Judiciary Chair, Bob Goodlatte, had threatened Strock with contempt of Congress just within minutes after the hearing actually began when Strock, on the advice of FBI lawyers themselves who were also there. And by the way, he still works for the FBI. He was removed from the uh, special counsel probe. But he still works for the FBI and the FBI lawyers uh, told uh, him and the Oversight Committee chair, Trey Gowdy, who was questioning him, that Strock was not allowed to discuss the ongoing investigation, which is not at all unusual. Nonetheless, Goodlatte demanded that Strzok violate the FBI lawyers' instructions and discuss evidence regarding the early stages of the investigation into Trump and Russia last year. An investigation, by the way, that should be noted, has resulted in something like six or seven guilty pleas from Trump campaign officials and dozens of other indictments. In any event, uh, here's how that early exchange uh, between uh, Strzok and a good lot went on Thursday.
0: Will you answer the committee's question as directed, or do you refuse to answer the committee's question?
1: Mr. Chairman, as
0: you know, counsel for the FBI has directed me not to answer questions about the ongoing investigation. As you also know, counsel for the FBI is sitting here behind me. May I consult with them? You may consult with your own counsel. But I may not consult with the FBI's counsel? Only with your own counsel. Mr. Chairman, there's no basis for that. He can <laughs> consult with the FBI counsel. He's an FBI the employee. The gentleman is not recognized. And the chairman is not being proper. The chairman is being proper.
1: The witness can't be
0: directed not to confer with his attorney. He, the, the FBI is not his attorney. His attorney is he's seated behind him if he, he wishes. He's an employee of the, the attorney FBI. Attorney. If he's already done, he may do so. And his attorney may consult with the FBI attorney? <laughs> Isn't the privilege that of the FBI and shouldn't the FBI counsel be um, solicited on that point. Mr. Mr. Chairman, my counsel has reiterated that counsel for the FBI has directed that I may not answer that question. Mr. Strzok. In a moment, we will continue with the hearing, but based on your refusal to answer the question, at the conclusion of the day, we will be recessing the hearing, and you will be subject to recall to allow the committee to consider proceeding with a contempt citation. Jesus. The point of order, yep. Mr. Chairman, will the committee also consider contempt for Mr. Bannon, who refused to answer Mr. Gowdy's questions when he was actually under subpoena? Is that, that is not too? a proper point of order in this hearing. Parliamentary <laughs> inquiry, for Gowdy's-
1: so that was just a little bit of it. That was Congressman uh, uh, Su- Swalwell. Uh, Swalwell from uh, out California. here in California yeah. uh, talking to Congressman Bob Goodlatte, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, about uh, his threat, his threat to bring uh, contempt charges in the uh, Congress against Peter Strzok. Uh, The GOP, of course, uh, also with Donald Trump himself and with Fox News, who has been pushing this, they have all seized on, in particular, one text message from Peter Strzok that they believe blows this entire deep state affair wide open. It's a text message from back in August of 2016. This is in the wake of the uh, DNC convention. Uh, When Strzok's girlfriend, Lisa Page, wrote to him uh, via text to say, "Uh, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? Strzok responded, quote, no, no, he won't. We'll stop it. There you go. The FBI was going to stop Donald Trump from becoming president. There's the evidence, this text message. How? Well, apparently they were by, you know, coming out and undermining Hillary Clinton's campaign or something just days before the election. That's how they were going to stop Donald Trump, I guess. Strzok, however, uh, was pressed on this by Congressman Trey Gowdy on uh, on Republican, on uh, what that text uh, saying, we'll stop it, actually meant. Here was part of Strzok's frankly, remarkable and unapologetic response to Gowdy today.
0: Mr. Chairman, may I respond to you? Yes, you, you may. You. Gaudis. Uh, sir, I think it's important when you look at those texts that you understand the context in which they were made and the things that were going on across America in terms of the text that we will stop it. You need to understand that that was written late at night, off the cuff, and it was in response to a series of events that included then-candidate Trump insulting the immigrant family of a fallen war hero. And my presumption, based on that horrible, disgusting behavior, that the American population would not elect somebody demonstrating that behavior to be president of the United States, it was in no way, unequivocally, any suggestion that me, the FBI would take any action whatsoever to improperly impact the electoral process for any candidate. So I I take great offense and I take great disagreement to your assertion of what that was or wasn't. I, of course, recognize that millions of Americans were likely to vote for candidate Trump. I acknowledge that is absolutely their right that is what makes our democracy such a vibrant process that it is but to suggest somehow that we can parse down the words of shorthand textual conversations like there's some contract for a car is is simply not consistent with my or most people's use of text messaging i can assure you mr chairman at no time in any of these texts did those personal beliefs ever enter into the realm of any action i took furthermore This isn't just me sitting here telling you, you don't have to take my word for it. At every step, at every investigative decision, there are multiple layers of people above me, the assistant director, executive assistant director, deputy director, and director of the FBI, and multiple layers of people below me, section chiefs, supervisors, unit chiefs, case agents, and analysts, all of whom were involved in all of these decisions. They would not tolerate any improper behavior in me any more than I would tolerate it in them. That is who we are as the FBI. And the suggestion that I, in some dark chamber somewhere in the FBI, would somehow cast aside all of these procedures, all of these safeguards, and somehow be able to do this is astounding to me. It simply couldn't happen. And the proposition that that is going on, that it might occur anywhere in the FBI, deeply corrodes. What the FBI is in American society, the effectiveness of their mission, and it is deeply destructive.
1: So, wow, that was uh, FBI official, counterintelligence official Peter Strzok uh, responding to what that text message was when he said uh, to his girlfriend, uh, no, we will stop it when he was talking about Donald Trump. As far as his personal beliefs playing any role, I think he dispatched uh, that concern uh, pretty well there. But uh, I should note that, uh, he, in fact, every investigation has found that to be the case. The recent IG's report on all of this, the one that actually revealed that text message in the first place, also found that, uh, politics and his personal belief played absolutely no role in uh, any part of the investigation that Peter Strzok had a part of.
2: Right, because really it's not about anything that's based in reality. This is about Republicans trying to undermine the Mueller investigation and uh, protect President Trump.
1: And I, again, I hate to even waste our time on it, but, uh, you know, I guess it needs to be responded to, and uh, he did such a Thorough job of responding to it there and explaining it, and yes, that text did come not long after that Gold Star family, uh, you know, had had come out. Uh, yeah, the family of
2: Kazir Khan, the father right? Kazir Khan, had come out and held up the Constitution. Remember, and he said, "Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, have you read this Constitution?"
1: And then Donald Trump attacked him. Yeah, the man lost his son, uh, who was fighting for this country in the armed forces. Uh, by the way, uh, as, uh, yeah, I know we got to get to a break here, but um, uh, Strzok in his opening uh, statement pointed out what I had mentioned earlier that if they wanted to undermine Donald Trump's candidacy during the campaign, Strzok and the FBI itself almost certainly could have. Here's his, uh, some of his remarks from his opening statement on this.
0: There is, however, one extraordinarily important piece of evidence supporting my integrity, the integrity of the FBI, and our lack of bias. In the summer of 2016, I was one of a handful of people who knew the details of Russian, in ele- Russian election interference and its possible connections with members of the Trump campaign. This information had the potential to derail and quite possibly defeat Mr. Trump, but the thought of expressing that or exposing that information never crossed my mind.
1: So that's where we are. That's the chaos, at least some of it, in the U.S. House today and in NATO today. Uh, let's take a quick break here and uh, come back with some some reality of what's actually going on in this country beyond the self-created chaos and havoc and smoke and mirrors and other madness that Trump and his party are trying to, frankly, to, are are, are creating, not trying, they are successfully creating in order to keep folks like me From reporting on stuff that they actually would prefer you don't hear about, uh, as we are just months away from the November election. Some of that, finally, is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. (laughs)
0: Oh baby,
1: go low. I go low, baby, go low. It's time baby to show. I love camera you for everybody. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, yeah, well, keep going. Who was it? Uh, I don't even remember now. Somebody on was it yesterday's show or day before talked about hitting rock bottom. We've now hit rock bottom. And I said, no, I'm afraid we're nowhere we're close. Still, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in any event, uh, let's uh, well, when they go low, we go high. Is that what? The,
2: <laughs> That's what Michelle, Michelle Obama says. Yeah. Let's press on.
1: Yeah. Pressing on. Uh, the Seth Hanlon uh, notes today on Twitter uh, that the uh, there are new U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics data out today on real wages. And this is just one of those things that I'm quite sure the Trump administration doesn't really want you to think about. Republicans really don't want you to think about uh, before the November elections. Uh, Among the things from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the BLS, what they find is that real average hourly earnings were unchanged from June 2017 to June 2018 over the past year. In fact, real average hourly earnings actually decreased by 0.2 percent for production and non-supervisory workers. That would be, you know, the non-managers, the actual workers. 80% of workers uh, qualify as production slash non-supervisory workers. So their earnings actually decreased over the past year. And Seth Hanlon adds a hashtag, better off now. That is the uh, slogan that the Republicans revealed yesterday that they're going to be running on in November 2016. Better off now. Do you feel better off now? For those of you who may regard the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the BLS, as fake news, I know that uh, Trump and the Republicans actually used to consider the numbers from the BLS as fake news, at least during the Obama administration. Uh, Those numbers today showing that workers are not seeing any kind of windfall following the GOP tax cuts late last year. Those numbers from the BLS are also backed up by a completely separate source of data as well today, which also sees real worker pay actually falling since those tax cuts. CBS Money Watch reports today that six months after the Tax Cut and Jobs Act became law, that's the name the GOP gave to their massive tax cuts for the rich scheme, Six months after that passage, there's still little evidence that the average job holder is feeling any benefit. Worker pay in the second quarter dropped nearly 1% below its first quarter level, according to the Pay Scale, in, pay scale Index, which is another measure of worker pay separate from the BLS, BLS data. When accounting for inflation, Pay Scale reports, The drop is even steeper. Year over year, rising prices have eaten up the uh, still modest pay gains where there were any at all for many workers, with the result that real wages actually fell 1.4% from the year prior, according to PayScale. The drop was broad, with 80% of industries and two thirds of metro areas affected. Katie Bardaro, the vice president of data analytics at Payscale, said, uh, quote, "Uh, Now, economic confidence has been good. We're in a strong economy. GDP is growing. But the question has been, where's the paycheck? Well, that paycheck ain't in the pockets of the working class and those uh, so-called forgotten men and women of the middle class that Donald Trump promised to remember if they were duped into voting for him to become president of the United States, uh, the answer, MoneyWatch explains, is largely uh, where is that uh, where's that paycheck? It's in the company coffers. Exactly as we had warned both before and after those tax cuts were passed last December with all Republican votes and only Republican votes, by the way, late last year. CBS says businesses are spending nearly $700 billion on what? Repurchasing their own stock so far this year since those tax cuts. That, according to research from TrimTabs, corporations set a record in uh, the second quarter, announcing $433 billion worth of buybacks, nearly doubling the previous record, which was set in the first quarter of this year immediately after those tax cuts. CBS notes that when a company buys back some of its outstanding shares, the effect is usually to boost the value of the rest of the stock, sometimes making the company appear more valuable on paper than it actually is. So uh, where the stock market has been variously Plummeting in recent weeks thanks to Trump's trade wars of late. It has been rising at times since the tax cut last year based on the paper tiger of companies buying back their own stock and making it appear that their companies are worth much more and doing much better than they actually are. But, you know, don't worry about that. Stock market's great. Everything's great. Nothing to worry about, Des. It's exactly
2: as Everybody who was in the progressive media predicted exactly as progressive economists predicted, exactly as independent economists predicted, and even some conservative economists predicted.
1: CBS notes that because many senior executives are paid in company shares, buybacks temporarily boost their pay, as well as uh, other shareholder uh, portfolios, but usually at the expense of company investment in things like infrastructure and things like workers and their salaries you know those investments in company infrastructure and worker pay that Trump and his Republican apparatchiks in Congress pretended was about to happen with the passage of their massive tax cuts last year now we have actual data revealing the exact opposite of what they promised surprised The popularity of stock buybacks in the wake of the corporate tax cuts has drawn lawmakers' attention, says CBS. Well, you know what, CBS, CBS Money Watch here, they don't mention it, but that would be only certain lawmakers uh, have brought their attention to it, specifically Democratic lawmakers' attention. CBS reports a group of senators wrote to the SEC late last month asking the agency to review the rules around buybacks, around stock buybacks. But what CBS is incredible, they link to this letter, but they don't even bother to mention that the letter was written by 13 U.S. senators and that all of those senators were Democrats. Seems like they could have just, you know, mentioned that, that's pointed only, that out, only two bro- or three words. In. I mean,
2: I know they're limited for space on the internet.
1: Yeah, I know, that's right. So, I mean, these uh, why couldn't they say that Democratic senators uh, they didn't. You know why? Uh, why?
2: I think it's because they don't want to appear partisan. They'll get yelled at by the rabid right wingers for pointing out the party affiliation of the senators that are pointing out the
1: truth, the actual facts, the actual documented facts. The uh, of course, you know, the documented facts are partisan, I guess.
2: They are pre-flinching.
1: Those Democratic senators said in their letter that the explosion of stock buybacks has funneled corporate profits to wealthy shareholders and corporate executives instead of workers and long-term investments that spur sustained economic growth. Again, not one Republican signed on to that letter. The money that has trickled down to workers this year has not been permanent, according to Payscale. One of the things we saw is firms are leaning more toward giving bonuses rather than straight pay increases. According to uh, Bardaro at uh, Payscale, she said it's flashy. It makes you feel good. It also makes... Uh, headlines that Trump and his Republicans love to cite, by the way. But it, she says it doesn't stick around and compound year over year the way increased employee pay would. Some economists have cautioned against judging the tax cuts too quickly, says CBS, uh, one way or another, saying that it could take up to four years before their full effects are felt. But for the executives in the top sliver of earners, the windfall has already been record-setting. They say. For the forgotten men and women of the working class, not so much. In fact, they are losing money because their pay is not keeping up with inflation. Whether those forgotten men and women in the working class realize it or not. Uh, all right. I've got some. You know what? Let me hold this uh, for our next show. Uh or, or one of them, depending on what chaos comes about hereafter. Uh, but let me uh, do some uh, listener response here to our coverage of uh, Trump's SCOTUS nomination, Supreme Court nomination, of uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, before we go to the Green News Report. Um, coverage of our, uh, I'm sorry, response to our coverage of that and of the Senate Democratic leadership's uh, tepid response to the idea of blocking Kavanaugh's nomination, come hell or high water, since both hell and high water seem to now be here, uh, and about the idea that I've been pushing about preventing a vote on uh, on his confirmation at all by Democrats just walking out and preventing a constitutional quorum as per Article One, Section 5 of the Constitution.
2: Yeah, shutting it down.
1: Uh, Lori Kaye, writes in via email to bradcast at bradblog.com. She says, Thank you for giving voice to what I and I can only imagine so many other Democrats are thinking about the lukewarm, tepid response of Democratic senators right now. What do they have to lose? Which is exactly my point. Yes, well, one of the things they have to lose could be the November elections. Uh, but at this rate, um, you know, I, as I have I have argued, we'll see if others agree, uh, you know, things have gotten so bad and are so insane, desperate times uh, call for desperate measures. And walking out and shutting down the Senate entirely, I think, is something that the American people would rally behind. But, uh, you know, just my opinion, Devlin C., um, also writes in uh, via the Brad blog on Facebook to say, "Y'all uh, ever get the feeling that the Democratic leadership is way, way, way out of touch with the rest of the country's need for the entire group to demand a full stop until Special Counsel Robert Mueller actually finishes his job?" Additionally, it seems they they uh, quote have theirs. He's talking about the Democrats there, and so. To hell with everything and everyone else, or is that just me? He didn't say to hell with, he said something else, but I've cleaned (laughs) it up for air. Um, I don't know if it's just you or not. Uh, And by the way, I I don't get the sense that Democrats are tepid here because, oh, they have theirs and to hell with everything and everyone else. I continue to believe that they're uh, scared, they're confused, and they have no clue what to do. They need a spine. They need a backbone. Frankly, they need better Democrats. Steve Jay also writes in via Facebook to say, Brad and Desi, thank you for leading the discussion about the need for the Senate Democrats to walk out of the Senate en masse, if that's what it takes to block Trump's nominee from being confirmed. I've been making that same argument in my own little circle of influence. He notes Jeremy Scahill has been making it, too. Well, that's good. We like Jeremy. Haven't heard him make that argument, but I'm uh, glad that he is doing so. Um, With uh, SCOTUS swinging a racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic wrecking ball at the Bill of Rights, Democrats have to stop being concerned about comity in the Senate and start acting like we are in the early stages of a cold civil war. He says, that's my phrase, but feel free to use it if you like. Well, we just did, uh, because he says that is exactly where we are and what is at stake. If McConnell insists on forcing a vote on Kavanaugh before the election, Democrats should not only walk out of the Senate to deny McConnell a quorum for as long as it takes, they should call the American, call on the American people, call them out onto the streets in a national strike. If the Democrats can't or won't do everything in their power, including that to protect us from this growing theocratic fascism, what good are they? Steve asks. Um, finally, uh, let's see. My dad, via text message, uh, after Wednesday's show. Uh, responding to my conversation with Ryan Grimm about the Democrats' consideration. In fact, uh, Chuck Schumer's office and other Democrats are in fact said to be considering a quorum walkout, but there are concerns about it. Ryan Grimm pointed out that uh, in fact, if they walked out, that the uh, they would uh, that Republicans would be able to simply, pass one thing after another yeah, under if, unanimous uh, consent
2: right if there's no Democrat manning the floor there at the floor to stop this unanimous consent they could introduce any kinds of odious legislation that would uh, be very dangerous
1: so my dad writes in to say and again he's just my dad he doesn't actually know anything but he uh, he, he does ho- pay attention to the news <laughs> uh, he writes in and actually he may be very well right here uh, he says uh, the answer to the quorum argument with Ryan Grimm on the Wednesday show is that you must have one attending member call for the question. In other words, there must be someone still there who has not walked out who asks for a quorum call under the rules. He says if nobody calls for the quorum, then everything can be passed by unanimous consent. He says thus you either need at least one Republican to cooperate and make the call for a quorum or you need one Democrat in attendance to make the call Uh, But that would mean that an additional Republican could not be in attendance at that time in order for there to be uh, just 50 present, which would not be, in theory, enough to carry on the business of the Senate at all. Uh, Dad notes, however, that then the sergeant at arms can forcibly bring back a member to uh, to make the quorum. Which is true, which is why they not only have to walk out of the Senate, they have to leave town. They just have to get the hell out of town. And uh, again, I think the American people would support them.
2: It, but but the like least, my dad, yeah.
1: I, I don't know anything.
2: <laughs> well, at the very I'm least, it would create, as Ryan said yesterday, it would create a, the kind of media spectacle to highlight the Republicans' theft of the Supreme Court.
1: And I think that's what's needed, because right now it's uh, Donald Trump sucking up uh, all the attention in the media with his antics overseas, with NATO attacking NATO, Republicans back in the U.S. House, their antics uh, over nonsense regarding Robert Mueller. So, yeah, if that's what it takes, uh, that's what it takes. Otherwise... Uh, Kavanaugh is going to become the next justice for the U.S. Supreme Court and all of us, all of us across this entire planet uh, as you discuss in your Green News report coming up Desi Doyen are going to be paying that price for decades that price and that Green News report is straight ahead on the Bradcast I'm Brad Friedman, don't touch that dial (laughs) Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, you know what that means. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That means it's time, like it or not, for our latest Green News Report. The Supreme Court could not only tell the EPA it no longer has to regulate carbon, but actually say the EPA doesn't have authority to regulate carbon.
2: Environmental groups mobilize against Trump's anti-regulation nominee to the Supreme Court. New report finds Trump's proposed coal bailout means more pollution and more death. Plus,
0: so electric mobility has to happen, has to happen fast.
2: Shell CEO calls on UK to speed up transition to electric vehicles.
1: All of that electrifying news and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis and snarky comment. But now Scott Pruitt will be
0: succeeded by Andrew Wheeler, a former coal and chemical lobbyist who was the vice president of a group called the Washington Coal Club? Which is kind of like the Secretary of Health being a member of the Beltway Gonorrhea Society.
1: <laughs> True, though, gonorrhea is less deadly than coal. This is your Green News Report. I'm
2: gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Desi Doyen, a lot of folks have reason to be very concerned about Donald Trump's. New nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court and environmentalists, I would think, top the list given the damage this guy could do. To the entire planet. Yes.
2: Major environmental groups say they are now mobilizing a public pressure campaign to oppose the confirmation of Donald Trump's pick of D.C. Court of Appeals Judge Brett Kavanaugh for a lifetime appointment on the U.S. Supreme Court to replace retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy. Citing Kavanaugh's track record of ruling for industry and against federal pollution regulations, the Sierra Club, in a statement, called Kavanaugh, quote, an extreme ideologue who has time and again proven himself hostile to common-sense environmental safeguards. Kavanaugh's views put the demands of polluters and big corporations before the rights of people. Retiring Justice Kennedy was occasionally a swing vote for public health and the environment, but with Kavanaugh, the court's right wing majority could achieve long sought overhauls of established public health protections like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. On a recent broadcast, Slate legal journalist Mark Joseph Stern noted that a number of significant Obama era climate policy and pollution lawsuits are on their way to the court, which could rule to cripple the federal government's ability to curb the greenhouse gases that cause dangerous global warming.
1: There is a very, very strong chance that with Justice Kavanaugh's vote in the near future, the Supreme Court could not only tell the EPA it no longer has to regulate carbon, but actually say the EPA doesn't have authority to regulate carbon. This is what Justice Samuel Alito said in a speech a few years back. And I don't think the conservatives have given up this fight.
2: Now, scientists warn that the window of opportunity is closing to cut emissions and stave off the worst climate consequences that will impact all generations on the planet. So if he is seated, his impact will be very long-lasting.
1: And potentially very deadly.
2: Meanwhile, the Trump administration Department of Energy's proposal to force taxpayers to bail out unprofitable coal and nuclear power plants could actually lead to more deaths from pollution. That's according to a new analysis from nonprofit independent research group Resources for the Future, which estimates that for every 4 coal jobs that would be protected by the Trump administration's coal plant bailout, one American will die a premature death from increased toxic air pollution. And they say that's a conservative estimate.
1: And I think it needs to be underscored. You call it a coal industry bailout. It really is a coal industry bailout.
2: Yes, forcing Americans to keep these plants open, even though there are more clean and cheaper energy sources available. But some good news. In North Carolina, Duke Energy is now harnessing poo power from the state's huge hog industry, capturing (laughs) methane from massive hog manure waste lagoons to generate electricity with plans to expand. In New York City, National Grid PLC has opened a pilot plant to burn methane from human wastewater and sewage treatment plants to generate electricity.
1: What does it say when the only good news stories we can come up with have to do with Pig poo and human poo.
2: (laughs) Well, there you go.
1: That's where we are.
2: Finally, the CEO of oil giant Royal Dutch Shell, Ben Van Buren, has asked the U.K. government to move up its 2040 target date to ban gasoline-powered cars and to accelerate its transition to electric vehicles. He says doing so more quickly would change consumer attitudes and, quote, make it easier for Shell to make investment decisions going forward. Last October, Shell purchased a U.K. electric vehicle electric vehicle charging company, and earlier this month, BP bought the UK's biggest EV charging network.
1: So, to correct my earlier statement, for good news, we not only have to turn to pig poo and human poo, but we also have to laud the CEO of a major oil company.
2: That's where we are.
1: What has this world come to? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your poo-filled Green News Report. Take a load off plenty. Take a load for free. <laughs> no. Take a load off Don't say anything. <laughs> Let it go, Desi Doyen. I'm okay. All right. Thank you very much for a great Green News report, Desi Doyen. <laughs> uh, no comment on the music. Uh, we, do we have to Now we just got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the brad blog and uh, one more piece of listener mail mail as we uh, get out this from barry n he sends a donation to us via bradblog.com slash donate thank you very much for that barry uh bradblog.com slash donate is the only way we can continue doing this, so uh, please stop by if you haven't ever or any time recently. We could use your help. Anyway, Barry writes uh, in response to uh, the conversation I had with Ryan Grimm of The Intercept during our conversation on Wednesday show, I think, that Democratic leadership believes they are being reasonable in the way that they are responding to Kavanaugh's nomination. Uh, I, I guess I had said uh, their reasonableness is killing us. I must have said that because Barry, Barry N. said, great quote from you, Brad. The snarkiness lives on. It does indeed. Uh, he adds, their reasonableness makes it hard to be a Democrat anymore. He adds, P.S., thanks for the not one but two shout outs for my last comment. I don't remember what they were, but I thank you for those. And now we, that makes it three. There you go. Well done, Barry N., and thanks again to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
2: Take a load off.